Welcome to the second bonus episode of The Modern Extractor. This podcast focuses on the processes, equipment, and science found in a cannabis extraction laboratory. I'm your host, Jason Showard, and I work professionally in the cannabis extraction field. Season two wrapped up last month after taking us through hydrocarbon extraction and finishing techniques. I'm currently in production on season three, which will be launching July 13th, and I've got some amazing guests lined up for you. Just a quick announcement before I jump into the show. Most of you have probably already heard me making announcements that The Modern Extractor recently teamed up with Mace Media Group as a podcast partner to cover the Extraction Expo. I got you guys hooked up with a promo code that will get Modern Extractor listeners 50% off of admission to the Expo. I'll have more information at the end of the show. In today's bonus episode, we'll be covering a topic that I only touched on briefly in Season 2, which is the history of hydrocarbon extraction of cannabis. We owe a lot to the folks who paved the way and whose shoulders we now stand on today. So after a little nudge from future 4200 members Collective Objective and Calipigian Dabs and the lone stiller who connected us, I spent a few minutes with one of the forefathers of closed-loop hydrocarbon extraction, J.D. Ellis, better known as Grey Wolf. The contributions that this man and his colleagues made to the industry have made many a lasting impact almost assuredly saved some lives, and paved the way for modern hydrocarbon extraction to blossom into the burgeoning industry that it's become today. Today on the show, we're in for an oral history of the early days of hydrocarbon extraction. Enough out of me, let's hear it from the man himself. J.D. Ellis, a.k.a. Grey Wolf, welcome to The Modern Extractor. Thank you, Jason. All right, where are you calling in from today? Well, I'm hailing from River City, Portland, Oregon. Also known as Rip City. All right. I'm down here in uh, in Los Angeles. It sounds a, a little less exciting than Rip City. Uh, <laughs> have you uh, have you always been based out of that area? No, I moved to Portland uh, in 1965. I originally lived from Oklahoma. Okay. So while well, you've been in Portland, uh, you're, uh, you're one of the pioneers of modern hydrocarbon extraction, and that's kind of where all that happened. What did your path into the cannabis extraction space look like? Circulus. <laughs> uh, sure, I actually got into cannabis extraction through the Oregon OMMP medical marijuana program, and it was after I'd retired and spent a six-month caring for a uh, friend dying of a, a brain cancer. And after I watched him suffer and wither away and die despite, and in fact, as well as because of the treatment, I uh, ran across an article about a test done in the 60s on brain tumors in rat in Spain. And they had injected the uh, tumors with THC and they had uh, either reduced or disappeared. And I got my uh, interest, and so I started digging further and bought up more medical studies, including pain relief for arthritis, which I suffer mindedly from. So I uh, got my Oregon Medical Marijuana Program card and joined a couple of groups to glean tribal knowledge, which uh, at that time was pretty sparse. And the uh, experience can convince me that uh, medical cannabis pain relief was real, uh, when I applied a potion that was supplied to me by a woman that called herself a Cajun woman, or actually her name was Kay Dickerson, and she'd thrown the scraps and the floor sweepings and so forth uh, into canola oil. Uh, and for about a six-month period of time, they strained it out. And uh, it was pretty messy and stinky. 
but it I spread it on my wrist that uh, was well, painful at the time, and within minutes the pain disappeared. And that was the moment that I realized the uh, cannabinoids were transdermal and that there was no question as to their uh, efficacy. Um, what, what year was this when this was all going going down? That would have been 2007. Okay. At any rate, that led me to uh, take a look at vegetable oil extraction and uh, some of the vegetable glycerin tinctures that were shared with me at the same time led me to invest that uh, as well. And I got the idea of ethanol extraction actually from books like uh, D. Gold's uh, Cannabis Alchemy and Marijuana Chemistry by Starks, uh, Dr. Atomic's uh, Marijuana Multiplier, and you know some others. Plus, I joined the International Cannographic Forum uh, that has international players. And in those days, uh, we didn't we hadn't experimented with dry ice to obtain super low extraction temperatures. So uh, after I explored both hot and, uh, you know, when I say cold extraction, I mean quet, which is, you know, basically just using ice so it's not that cold. And uh, as a result of that, I got interested in the non-polar solvents to try to avoid the chlorophyll. And I, I started out uh, experimenting with uh, C6 hexane and uh, C5 pentane. And while Rick Simpson was touting uh, naphtha, I was concerned about the possibility of uh, benzene content, so I didn't go there. I was also concerned about the hexane because hexane uh, 2.5-dione is a known carcinogen. And I was concerned about heptane because of its high boiling point. You know, at that point, we weren't using uh, vacuum purging. And so getting rid of a, a uh, C7, uh, you had to get it pretty hot. Pentane worked pretty good, but it was damned expensive from our uh, American scientific store. So I took a look at C3 and C4 butane. The instructions uh, that I found online, you know, essentially for BHO extraction actually involved uh, blasting to a PVC pipe. But the good uh, old days. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> being a a process person, I, you know, first checked butane and, and PVC chemical compatibility and ended up building my uh, first columns out of copper pipe, and uh, which works fine as long as you keep them clean. And we evolved that process uh, by having some borosilicate tubes custom built for us by a local uh, scientific glass blower, and then we development ciliaries make it easier and more efficient to operate. And I won't bore you those details, but anyone that's interested in the evolution can see it on our, the website at uh, 9.4.11. It goes through the various steps. But it was actually IC Mag that I saw the posting by FOF uh, on reclaiming butane using a refrigeration pump. And that's what directed my attention to butane recycle, and the rest of that is history. I've got a question for you that kind of perked my ears up when you were telling that story. Uh, you said you were a process person, and you also said you're already retired. What was it that you were doing leading up to all of this? I worked in the aerospace industry, and I was a manufacturing engineering program manager. And that means what I did is installed facilities uh, and designed uh, processes and equipment and installed those or managed crews that did it. 
So uh, process and equipment are, are what I did professionally before retirement. All right. Well, your your experience there certainly helped uh, advance the, the the art of extraction for uh, for the modern world today. Well, uh, you can thank Uncle Sam for that because um, a lot of my schooling was paid for by the companies that were on defense contracts. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Thank you, Uncle Sam. Uncle Sam's donation to the cannabis industry. <laughs> so uh, you you'd mentioned also the. Uh, the PVC pipe usage in the beginning, uh, which, which kind of leads me into my next question, which was when you were just first getting started, it was basically the wild west when it came to, to butane extraction and to hydrocarbon extraction. Uh, what's the, what's the craziest thing you ever saw happen in the, uh, in the early days? Well, <laughs> I guess you have to define crazy, uh, you know, houses blowing up and motels being emptied in the middle of the night because somebody blew a room up was pretty crazy. And I heard of a, a one guy open blasting in his car with his infant kid inside, which is oh. even crazier. A thing that uh, I, I think, you know, they're ignorant people uh, and they're people that you can't educate, but they're also people uh, in the forefront that you know should know better and so uh, in that light i think right up there uh <laughs> and crazy and also major the time uh, was a youtube video where one of the uh local equipment manufacturers uh posted a uh you know essentially a video demonstrating his piece of equipment and he had two, you know, very attractive young ladies uh, in the satiny strapless evening ground or evening gowns that were demonstrating this passive BHO extraction system indoors. And it didn't use a vacuum pump to evacuate it. He burped it to get the flow the atmosphere out. And uh, was they were promoting the device as safer than anything else else on the market. In fact, they were poisoning the well for the rest of it. We're just saying all the rest of us were, you know, maniacs, and this is the way it should be done. And uh, this is now consider that fire marshals and and uh, so forth are going to be looking at that <laughs> and thinking that that's you know that's how the market is as opposed to the, just this one idiot. You know, and there was a lot of pretty skin, bare skin showing and uh they were wearing high static charge dresses that build you know uh, electrical charge they were venting uh lpg within lel indoors and in an enclosed area with no ventilation and the, the crazier part is that we called him out online on uh, ic mag and he re- he argued with us rather than just take the youtube down in embarrassment oh, wow Speaking of all of that, I think it's kind of important for, for any industry to really understand its roots. It's uh, really often they get lost. So people were open blasting, blowing stuff up for, for a while before you stepped in and designed a closed loop system. So set the scene for us a little bit here. Did something in particular uh, spur you to go ahead and start designing for this closed loop system? Well, after we formed uh, Skunk Farm Research and started giving away our surplus material to, you know, seriously ill and end-of-life patients, had a lot of uh, growers started donating their surplus to us from the uh, annual outdoor harvest uh, to our medical program. And we uh, were going through just mega cases of lighter butane. And, uh, you know, besides that, as we discussed, you know, folks were blowing stuff up right and left, uh, open blasting. 
Uh, but coming from a an oil refinery family family background, my you know father was a a maintenance superintendent at an oil refinery. It bothered me, you know, to see the damage or to realize the damage that we do to Mother Earth, you know, exploring, uh, drilling, extracting, transporting, and refining the LPG before we just use it one time and release it as smog. <laughs> you know, that, uh, at any rate, the tipping point actually was that even wholesale, the cost of butane became prohibitively expensive for the us three. It was coming out of our pockets. <laughs> And so I started looking for a solution, and I saw the posting by Fof when I see Mag Forum, uh, where he recovered butane using a refrigeration pump. And uh, as a retired manufacturing engineer who, you know, designed facilities and equipment and processes and so forth, I uh, asked myself what the equipment and process, you know, would look like if I took Fof's process and designed, a, and designed around it. And so the result of that was the Mark I Turpinator, uh, and it's based on a uh, paint pressure pot. Built my own column from a, a section of a 304 stainless Schedule 5 pipe that I had uh, handy, and I bought some ANSI flanges and had them uh, machine pro rings. At any rate, I uh, built it, and then the design posted the design and the sourcing on SPR and uh, IC Mag, rolled it up, uh, so forth, uh, as an alternative to, to open blasting and, uh, you know, as an effort to address all explosions as well as in environmental concern. So, at any rate, I built uh, the Mark One, and then I built one Mark Two, which was an automated version of the Mark One, and it included uh, a C1D1 extraction booth before it, we were even they'd even define what it is that we're going to have to, uh, you know, do to get uh, permitted. Uh, you know, it just seemed logical. That's what they were going to ask for. And so that's what I designed for the Mark II. Um, at that point, the uh, thing actually that went international and, I, you know, I, I think drew the attention of everybody was a Mark III, uh, which was based on uh, sanitary parts. And a lot of folks started building, uh, building them, and you know, internationally. And China, of course, immediately had a panoply of components designed and ready to to uh, pick up. I had uh, helped uh, a couple of companies in the U.S., one in uh, Belgium, one in South Africa, one in uh, uh, Canada, set up operation to build a Mark III. So give us a rundown of what the Mark III actually looks like. Uh, one of the things that I like to do on this podcast is try to picture my, uh, picture my listeners not able to actually get on a computer and, and Google what we're talking about. So give us a, both a visual and a process flow rundown of what this Mark III looked like. Okay, the Mark III was a six-by-six six sanitary spool. Uh, the original one had a welded bottom. Uh, I, Bought a actually a twelve inch sanitary spoon and cut it uh, not exactly in half, but I separated and made two pieces out of it. The lid was a uh, you know six inch uh, sanitary flange uh, in which I welded machine welded some fittings. The center had a inch and a half uh, ferrule sanitary ferrule, and then there was a port 
uh, in the lid for a vent tube that ran uh, from the top of the column uh, back down to the uh, uh, collection tank at the bottom, the six by six. And then there was a, a tap that had a, uh, a four-way cross, three-eight four-way cross on it, and, uh, you know, one leg attached to the lid. Uh, one leg had a, a pressure gauge on it, and then there was one for the vacuum pump and one for the uh, recovery pump. On that base, there was a valve, and then on top of that valve, on the, where the column goes, on top of that valve was a T, uh, and then on top of the T was the column. The way the system worked is that you pulled a vacuum on the system with the vacuum pump, and then you injected butane through that T at the base of the column with the valve between it and the, the uh, collection tank closed. And that forced the butane to go up through the column and out the vent tube and back down into the collection tank. And uh, the recovery pump was running at this point. So, uh, on the, on the original one, we were putting about three volumes of butane through from the bottom. And uh, the way that we told how many volumes we had, we started injecting and just put our hand up on, on the top bent tube. And when the butane finally got that far and spilled out, it just instantly turned ice cold. And so we either timed it or counted. If it took, let's say, 45 seconds for the, uh, the butane to – actually, that was – a that small, it didn't take anywhere near 45 seconds. It took 15 seconds, let's say, for the butane to hit the top tube and to get three volumes through. We then ran it for another 30 seconds. So 45 seconds total, that's three volumes. And then we shut off the butane. We left the vent valve open, and we opened the dump valve between the tube and the uh, turpinator. And that exposed the uh, the column to the to the recovery pump. And we continued to run the recovery pump until we hit about minus 22 inches. Uh, we could go further than that, but it's hard on the pump because you're running the, the uh, seals dry. And once we hit minus 22 inches, then we shut off the recovery pump and turned on the high vacuum pump and pulled it down to minus 29 and 0.9 inches. Uh, it, back in those days, we were backfilling with air. Uh, later, we got to start backfilling with nitrogen. But uh, once we backfill and we just opened the, uh, you know, six-inch pot and, and took out the harvest. During the uh, operation, we had the uh, six-inch pot setting in a, uh, in this case, an electric soup pot made by Wyatt. And uh, that was uh, basically to keep it from freezing up when we're boiling the butane refrigeration chilling it down till it stopped, uh, you know, the process stopped. So we weren't trying to heat it. We were just trying to replace the refrigeration losses. And then the recovery tank we had in a plastic uh, barrel full of ice water. We also had a coil, a recovery coil, between the pump and the tank set in the same ice water to uh, chill the pump or the pump discharge. Uh that's about it. It was a pretty simple system. Well, that's what paved the way to everything that's going on right now. And, uh, you know, you got to start somewhere. You may call it simple, but uh, at the time, it was pretty revolutionary. Well, the thing about 
simple is that once you reveal it to the universe, everybody takes it and runs with it, <laughs> and, and it does get complicated. <laughs> well, that's actually a really great segue. You were one of the very first people that decided to take stuff, show the work you were doing to the world, and put it on the internet. You know, there's a lot of people that are very protective of their IP, and in this industry specifically, uh, there's a lot of that going on with IP theft, and then there's the whole other school of thought where people are interested in making it more open source and sharing to advance the science and the community. So uh, talk to us a little bit about that and how Skunk Farm ties into that. Well, I uh, am comfortably retired, and so I didn't need to make more money, uh, get richer. I'm not rich, but I didn't don't need to get rich. I have, you know, at this point, fairly simple needs. And it was, you know, more important to me that the uh, folks have the knowledge than it was for me to have any more money to, for more toys uh, that I don't play with. And uh, there's actually three of us that formed Kung Farm Research. Uh, and we did it as a platform that we could write off some of our research expenses, like butane, for instance, and also to provide a, a resource that we could share links to, or I could share links to, and it saved me a lot of answering the same question over and over and over on various forums. I would just, you know, click a link and say, you know, check here, and uh, I could put a lot of detail in it, you know, to make sure that it covered most of the bases. Where if I have to do it multiple times, I look for shortcuts. So, who are your partners in uh, in founding Skunk Farm Research? Well, um, there were two. Uh, I was a retired manufacturing engineer. Carla Kay was a retired electrical engineer. And we had uh, farmer Joe or Joe, uh, who was at that time a biotechnology student. And uh, we got together in a local forum where we had a, uh, originally it was a group called uh, Canicave, where we Essentially, we're helping new growers set up operations and uh, doing research and, and publishing and so forth. But uh, it became problematic politically, so we moved to another uh, group and, uh, that had less people in it, and we called it the Skunk Farmers. Uh, we subsequently moved to a smaller group, which is us three, and founded Skunk Farm Research. Um, and our you know, our primary goals in doing that were, you know, cannabis research and uh, t teaching medical patients to provide for their own needs. But our, our long-term agenda really was promoting medical cannabis by educating boaters or sending educated boaters to the to the polls with their eyes open uh, so that, you know, cannabis would start to be treated like any other medical product. We also, of course did a how to do it yourself for those growing and uh, extracting their own was all that they could afford. Besides what we shared on our blog, we taught classes in various uh, cannabis related subjects and we uh, sponsored lectures by uh, key national speakers like, you know, Dr. Melamede, for instance, on the effect of phytocannabinoids on the endocannabinoid system. And we got Dr. Justin Pischetic on the terpenes and the cannabinoids and their medical effects. And this was, you know, way back before, you know, there was really a whole lot of interest in terpenes. 
And it wasn't until we started, you know, looking at the effects of the, the terpenes, we realized that a lot of the effects that we thought cannabinoid really weren't. You know, the castellock ends up being myrcene <laughs> and a, a lot of the uh, Catholic, you know, peace ended up being linalool and, um, and so on and so on. At any rate, uh, are those classes and lectures uh, end up bringing people from all over as far away as the East Coast and Canada. And uh, because, you know, a lot of them are bright kindred spirits, uh, they brought actually a lot of technology to us and shared it with us. Uh, so it ended up being a good inter interchange. And uh, as I mentioned, we also were extracting, formulating cannabis concentrate for, you know, seriously ill and indolite patients. But we didn't have any money, so, you know, we literally built our lab, or didn't have money to throw away. I mean, we weren't hungry, but uh, we, you know, literally built our lab with our own hands, starting with, you know, pouring the slab and screening it with a board, and we did all the plumbing, electrical, and ventilation ourselves. We had some volunteer labor, and we, you know, had some uh, cabinets that were donated, but we did, you know, most of it ourselves. And uh, we built a lot of our own equipment using uh, outside vendors for the machining and the welding, but, you know, assembling, plumbing, and wiring ourselves. Uh, we worked with companies like uh, Cascade Scientific, uh, Cat Sciences, uh, and Extract Craft, develop, you know, helping them to refine their new products. And, uh, you know, we each ran our own uh, consulting business. Because of my work in hydrocarbon uh, extraction, I was contacted by any number of, of attorneys on both sides, both for insurance companies and for you know people that uh, were had lawyers trying to defend them, and uh, as well as an assistant director of occupational health and safety from a national uh, labor union. And uh, through them, uh, I was contacted by a number of fire marshals and fire and guest investigators around the U.S. You know, trying to to better understand the uh, hydrocarbon extraction and uh, was uh, ended up being one of the teachers invited to a conference to help educate NIOSH industrial hygienists who were charged with writing the OSHA rules for the cannabis industry. Uh, about that time, we took on a new partner and, uh, you know, the intent was to expand skunk farm research, but it unfortunately didn't work out and us three you know, founders were locked out in 2017, and we subsequently left SPR as part of a, a legal settlement. So the new the new partner ran you guys off of your project, huh? Uh, I, you know, the sorry that I can't comment on that because our settlement precludes sharing details, so no no comments. Understood. Well, I hope it was worthwhile. We'll leave it at that. All right. From there, you started Gray Wolf's Lair. Is that where that came about? Uh, yes, it did. I uh, opened the, the lair for, you know, it's many of the same reasons that we opened Skunk Farm Research. I needed a platform that I could share a link uh, that answered questions in detail and uh, also needed to be able to update the links and keep them current, you know, with new findings. So I need one under my control. I pretty much eliminated any other form. Uh, and if you take a look, I detail some of the same processes and provide information on how to build your own equipment and extract your own concentrates, uh, you know, similar to skunk farm research. But uh, I've added some features 
uh, not present on SBR. And the last time I checked them out, uh, it you know looked like they, we uh, basically are catering to a different uh, readership. Unfortunately, Carl and Joe have moved away, and you know due to circumstance and proximity, have not been really readily available. So I've added some uh, guest authors, like I got D. Gold, okay. <laughs> the infamous D. Gold, or the famous, I guess. And uh, Eric uh, Berkowitz uh, has been adding some uh, technical articles <laughs> on things that are, you know, they're better informed on than I am. Uh, I guess in my case, Grey Wolf Slayer is my hobby against boredom and a, an effort to build new brain cells faster than I'm losing my dotage. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you're uh, you're you're keeping them going. I uh, I like the site. I am uh, perusing it every now and again. Uh, some definitely some interesting stuff on there. Um, so I was just about to ask you what you're working on these days. Uh, you, you don't strike me as the kind of guy that that doesn't have a project. Is Gray Wolf Slayer taking up the majority of your time these days? Or are you doing some kind of something else with extraction? Well, actually, I uh, have several things going on. Uh, one. Thing that I've, I've uh, recently been working on is a, uh, a test lead that I, I uh, can do vacuum cooking with so that I can try to cook, you know, delicate sauces and stocks at a lower temperature to see if I can preserve more of the delicate, you know, flavors. <laughs> and I, you know, of course, got that idea from the work on terpenes and cannabis. Absolutely. Uh, the other thing I, you know, interesting is that I working on a project of uh, doing sous vide cooking, but doing it in uh, aluminum beads, hot aluminum beads. And uh, <laughs> actually, Cascade uh, Sciences donated the beads for me, but I've uh, cooked some uh, steaks that are just absolutely dead letter, perfect, uh, medium rare, and, uh, you know, some egg bites that are pretty tasty. But probably the, the best one was my cream brulee. Mm. Uh, <laughs> You have to pay attention making cream cream brulee, but usually, but in this process you don't. You mix it up, you put it in jars, and then just shove it down in the beads and come get it 35 minutes later, <laughs> and cool them down, and uh, just chuck them in the fridge. And when you get ready, you pull them out and uh, sprinkle brown sugar on them, and then torch them, you know, to put a, a, a glaze on the top, and uh, they're ready to go. They're actually really good. All right, science in the kitchen. I like how you're uh, you're crossing over there. That's that's fantastic. Yeah, the other, other thing on the vacuum thing, the only one that I've done so far with the vacuum cooking is I, uh, I, my wife came back from uh, a food pod and uh, was telling me how much she liked their jalapeno uh, lemonade, and so I looked up process for jalapeno lemonade and uh, and again, you know, because you know, the processes they were using, of course, are water soluble. And, you know, the, there, some of the terpenes and uh, terpenoids are uh, not water soluble. Uh, the flavonoids are, but, you know, for the most part, but not, not all the terpenes. So what I did is I, instead of using uh, two cups of, of water and a, uh, a, a cup of sugar, I used a cup of water and a cup of 190 proof. <laughs> <laughs> and sugar, and then instead of soaking the uh, jalapenos in it, I threw them all in the, the Vitamix, mushed them all up, and filtered it, and uh, then I distilled off the uh, alcohol and used that syrup to sweeten the uh, lemonade with. And uh, it, you know, because the flavonoids are by by and large water soluble, you know, the standard 
uh, recipe using just water, uh, you know, represents those really well. And I pretty much matched those, but the uh, what came across in the non-water soluble were, was uh, a lot more of the capsicum. So uh, it was hotter. <laughs> yeah, you had to tone down the amount of uh, jalapenos you used on the second batch. <laughs> Absolutely. And it, but here's the good part, or the funny part, uh, is that the 190 proof that I recovered, of course, it's no longer 190 proof. It's only about 130 proof on a first pass. I'd have to, you know, continue to run it more times to, to get it back up to 190. But at 130 proof is what it came out at. It was jalapeno vodka. <laughs> it smelled like jalapenos. It tasted like jalapenos, and it was hot, <laughs> like jalapenos, but it was vodka. <laughs> Man, you know how to throw a party. <laughs> I like it. So uh, we're hearing all these wonderful things about your cooking using all these scientific techniques. Uh, you got my mouth watering. Uh, what about when you were when you were extracting? What was the most sought after product that you were making back then? Well, we were extracting medical product, and so the most sought-after product was uh, basically just uh, full-spectrum extraction, uh, which we, you know, formulated by mixing it with uh, coconut oil, uh, two different cinnamon oils, and uh, gum mirror, and that's what we supplied for the most part to the the cancer patients and, uh, you know, people looking for orals. Um, the, probably not the, the real question that you're asking, but, um, if we take a look at it from what the students in our classes uh, responded to, which is probably more along those lines, uh, there were two, they were popular. One of them was the, uh, live resin and the most common word to describe, uh, that was the word fresh. And uh, but hands down, the one most popular was the uh, THC acetate, <laughs> the THOA, THCOA, and uh, that because it it uh, passes the blood brain barrier uh, faster, uh, just virtually instantly. Uh, it comes on just full full bore, real quick. And uh, it's got a reputation for being stronger than uh, cannabis, but and I'm not sure that it actually is. I think it just comes on so quick that it feels like it is. But the most common uh, common reply, the first thing out of their mouth was, oh, wow. <laughs> and, uh, and I think that's because of how fast it arrives. And the second most common thing they said is, you know, they liked it, but they said, that's not at all what I expected. Because what it really is, it's just a really calm, peaceful uh, there was some light shifts and some color shifts, uh, you know, similar to mushrooms, but, uh, you know, very light and subtle. Uh, but other than that, it would just, you know, at least for me, it was just really a nice, peaceful, calm uh, high. Okay. Well, you, so you just mentioned mushrooms, which is kind of an interesting topic lately among uh, cannabis circles in general. Uh, what's, what's your take on what's going on right now with all the decriminalization and the, the research that's going on in mushrooms? It, it feels to me very much like what you just described with cannabis uh, back, back in the day. Well, I think that's exactly what's going on. And I'm a little bit over the hill to, uh, you know, get involved in another <laughs> Uh, frontier, but uh, I know Joe is uh, very much interested in it and looking at, uh, uh, I think, you know, supplying uh, material to grow mushrooms in and, and so forth. 
my personal feelings are that, uh, like so many of the uh, drugs that have, you know, been abused psychedelically, there are, uh, there's, you know, a lot of resistance built up about whether or not they actually have uh, medical properties. In the case of uh, the, the mushrooms, again, uh, you know, at this point, there's no question that, that it has. They've done some remarkable stuff, you know, with the, the uh, psilocybin. And uh, I'm glad to see that they're doing the same thing they did with cannabis. I look forward to seeing where it goes. Yeah, I'm in the same boat there. It seems like a very, uh, very interesting uh, potential to help people and, uh, you know, to help people chill out a little bit as well. So uh, moving on from there, what are you most excited about regarding the future of the cannabis industry whose trajectory you helped shape and change? I think the most exciting part about it is watching what's happening with all the fertile minds that are now uh, involved. Back when it was illegal, you, uh, or was now legal, but, you know, it was nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you couldn't get people to, to uh, with a lot of training and money invested in their education, get involved in it because, you know, they not only were concerned about jail, but, you know, it was a stigma on their reputation. And now that uh, it has been proven beyond a, a shadow of a doubt that, you know, cannabis does have medical properties. Uh, and there are legitimate, you know, reasons uh, for it to be around other than, you know, people getting stoned out of their mind that, you're, you know, getting an influx of people that, that have the training, they have the money, they have the equipment. And there are a lot of processes that we could use on cannabis that they've been using for years on other stuff, but we haven't been able to on cannabis because it's been prescribed. And, you know, with that veil lifted, uh, there's, you know, cannabis will end up going through, a, a, I think, an incredible uh, fast evolution and maturity because, because a lot of the background has already been done on other stuff. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited about the same thing. It's it's nice to see that the stigma is getting lifted and uh, and and that things are coming along where, where people are more educated people are willing to, to jump on in and, and see what happens. So it's an exciting time. So if people wanted to get a hold of you, uh, what's the best way for them to reach out? Well, actually, probably the best way is graywolf at graywolfslayer.com. And remember to spell gray, G-R-A-Y, as, far, as opposed to G-R-E-Y, because it's uh, the American gray wolf, not the gray colored wolf. So G-R-A-Y-W-O-L-F at uh, graywolfslayer.com. All right. J.D. Ellis, thank you for all the groundwork you helped lay. Thanks for everything you've done for the extraction industry. And thank you for coming on The Modern Extractor. My pleasure. Nice talking to you. Take care. All right. Thanks again to Gray Wolf for joining us and for helping pave the way to where we are today in extraction. If you want to get a hold of the wolf, you got to go to his lair. Shoot him an email, graywolf at graywolfslayer.com. That's G-R-A-Y wolf at graywolfslayer.com. As I mentioned at the top of the show, The Modern Extractor recently teamed up with Mace Media Group as a podcast partner to cover the Extraction Expo. Mace publishes Extraction Magazine and Terpenes and Testing Magazine and produces one of my favorite conferences to attend, the Extraction Expo. This year's Extraction Expo is coming up September 30th through October 1st at the LAX Marriott in Los Angeles. 
It's the only trade show or conference completely dedicated to extraction. All of the exhibitors are pertinent to the extraction business, and all the speakers and panel discussions are targeted at us. It's the best networking and educational event specific to our industry, and The Modern Extractor is now an official podcast partner. I'll be there with a booth, interviewing exhibitors, speakers, and interesting guests, handing out swag, and doing my Modern Extractor thing to cover the latest and greatest in the industry. So, come find me and shake my hand. Ticket sales and information about the Expo are available at ExtractionExpo.net. When you go to purchase those tickets, don't forget to enter our promo code, MODX, to get them for half price. That's M-O-D-E-X, no spaces. I'll see you at the Expo. Stay tuned for the launch of Season 3 next Tuesday, July 13th. All the love you guys are showing in the reviews and on Instagram is paying off, and I've got some killer guests lined up for you this season. Speaking of reviews on Instagram, if you like the show, please review it on Apple Podcasts. The more subscribers and better reviews we get, the better guests I can keep booking for you here in the future. The reviews in particular help me expand the reach that the show has, which just may help me negotiate some more killer discounts on event admissions, equipment, and lab supplies for you, the ModX listeners. A big thanks to Isada Venegas for handling business on the show's social media, and a shout out to the New Fools for bringing the funk to the ModX theme song. Thanks again to everybody for tuning into the Modern Extractor. New episodes are out every Tuesday. I'm Jason Showered. Let's talk soon. We'll be right back.